Anyone tired this morning? No, you're just full of pep and energy this morning. I'm sure of it. Oh, 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 oh. time just flies, doesn't it? Time just flies by. Seems like we just were here Friday night, and now it's Sunday morning, and almost time to go. There are people have been asking this morning, so are we going out with a bang today? Looking forward to something extraordinary today? Well, I don't know. I guess time will tell. I say, I looked at him in the eye and said, I guess it really depends on your heart, doesn't it? <laughs> don't depend on me. You know, it just depends on our heart. It depends on the Lord and the Lord speaking to us. And once again, I just want to tell you what a just pure joy it is for me to be here with you. It really is. It isn't really no sacrifice at all for me. It's just really a tremendous joy to spend the weekend with you, to see God working in your heart, to see your love for one another. I, I want to assure you of something. I'm extremely proud of this group of men and women. The things I shared this weekend, <clears throat> I didn't share them because I looked out at this group and said, wow, what a mess we have on our hands. I shared them because they're in the Word of God. And they've been shared by men and women down through the ages since they've been written. They're there. They're what God has for us. But I want to assure you that I'm extremely proud of the kind of obedience, the kind of zeal, the kind of fond affection, the kind of righteous behavior that I see in this group. And I have witnessed for eight or nine years since it started. We're growing. We're growing. And I want to remind you of that. We are in a process. You know, when I come to meetings like this and I listen to speakers speak, I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't sit in my chair and go, oh, man, I'm such a louse. Because I'm not. And neither are you. God didn't make you a louse. You're a new person in Christ. You're righteous, you're perfect, and you're holy. But I live very much aware that I'm not yet on the outside like Jesus. And I want to grow to be that. So go ahead, lay it on the line, share with me what you have to say, and I will assimilate it and ponder, where can I excel more in my life? But I don't sit there and walk away with my head dejected and think, God, I'm just such a loser. Because I'm not a loser. And neither are you. None of you are, if you know Christ. When you come to Christ, He changes the game, you see. And He changes what we are. So I just want to remind you that all of us are in the process. The second thing I want to remind you of is that in your small groups, when you get back to Evergreen, you have to remember that people come to your small groups. And, and if some of those people are here today, I don't even know. I want you to know, I have no idea what's going on in all the small groups who's there and who isn't, what's going on. I do not have little spies. Once in a while, I'll, someone will come to me about a difficult issue they're facing. How would I handle it as a, a leader? What should I do? How can I help the person? And that's always the goal, to help the person. But I, I have no idea. So when I say these things, realize that often I'm just speaking generally. You're going to have people that come to your small groups that don't know the Lord. And they may be living with somebody. But you've got to remember that we're trying to reach lost people for Christ as part of the process. And it's going to take patience working with people. Righteousness doesn't happen just overnight. And by the way, none of this stuff applies to an unbeliever. 
An unbeliever is completely powerless without any reserves whatsoever to live a godly, upright, and righteous life. So, you know, some of you, I know you, you think, sometimes you try to figure me out. You know, really, I just, what you see is what you get. I mean, I love people. I care about people. You've witnessed me, many of you for years at Evergreen. Some of you not for years, but you know, I'm very patient with lost people. I'm very patient with saved people. You've got to work with the process. Okay, you've got to work with the process. So when we have people come to Evergreen that don't know the Lord, and maybe they start to investigate your single small group, and wow, they're not living up to the standard that Mark just shared three months ago at the singles conference, and why it's my duty to make sure I give them all the tapes. Please don't do that. And, and it's my duty to make sure they understand they're living in sin. Give them some understanding. Give them some time as Jesus did when He walked on the planet. Okay? That, that's the first thing to remember. We're, we're dealing with a lost world and people are going to come. At, at Evergreen, we have what we call the mixed multitude. We have people who are seekers, who have not yet come to Christ. We have people who have come to Christ. But then after they come to Christ, there's a wide variety of individuals even in the saved camp. <clears throat> you have your lukewarmies. You have your people who have, who have grown up in a church environment who are turned off to Christ, but all of a sudden they've seen an attractive style of Christianity at Evergreen and they want to start in to investigate. And their whole life's not all the things that yours might be when you've been exposed to this kind of teaching over a period of time. The goal here is not to judge one another. The goal is not to lay down the law with each other. The goal... It's to become a new person in Christ and to grow up into that person that God has made us and to help one another in the journey. And that takes a lot of patience and a lot of love and a lot of understanding. I can tell you right now, I know there are people, because I've had them tell me, oh, Mark, I just wish you'd talk like this all the time. Well, you know, Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for everything under the sun. A time for love, a time for for hate, a time for peace, a time for war. A time to sow, a time to tear up. And we have to take things in their time, in the process. You know, we have to, we have to work with people. But then there's sometimes, there's a, there's a time, and this conference is one of those times. For me, conferences generally are the time just to lay out the call, the call of discipleship in its various forms, and the chips fall where they may. And there may be 30, 40 people who never show up at church anymore because they came to this conference. I know that. I am prepared for that. Would I want them to go? No, I would want them to respond to God's Word and to grow, but I will not allow that to keep me from sharing what is true. But on the other hand, on the weekends, when we're trying to share the Word, we're trying to help people come along in their faith. It doesn't do us any good, does it, to walk around the world telling everybody how righteous we are, judging everybody, and we go through the world alone with two other people in our little righteous group. The world dies and we go to hell and we go to heaven. Boy, we were righteous. We were puffed up. We were arrogant. The goal is to win people. The goal is to become all things to all men. That is, in righteous, never be unrighteous to do it. But there's a lot of things that people consider unrighteous that are not. And become all things to all men that we might win them. And then when we win them, Paul says in Colossians that I labor 
can struggle to the point of exhaustion according to his power which mightily works in me that I might present every man and woman complete in Christ and that's what this is about I don't mind getting tired in this I don't mind going, 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 going because my whole desire is to be able to present you to Christ Lord, here they are they're complete just kind of like a father with his own children my own children I know my job parenting is not done I'm in there in the trenches working to present my children mature emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally so they're prepared to be who God wants them to be when their time to leave comes. My goodness, I'll probably have lived with them. I'm hoping they'll stay around until they're 20 or 22. We've had a long talk about that. I try to tell them in American culture, you know, it's very culture to be independent, but the rest of the world's not that way. It's very normal in all of Central America and Latin America, which includes South America, to stay with your parents until you're married. Very normal. It's very normal the rest of the world. I'm not going to force that on anybody. I've tried to, I've tried to stress the benefits. <laughs> Food, washer and dryer, accountability, siblings around you that love you, you have no idea what it's like to go live with people that you haven't lived with. Oh, you want trials in your life. I, you know, try to scare them just a little bit. <laughs> so you get your own key to the house, your own car, you can come and go as you want because if I can't trust you by then, then I failed in my job. Uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. But, but I want the best for you and God wants the best for you. You know, and that's the point here. That's the point. So, also realize that there's a time when maybe you've got um, new believers coming to your group. Maybe it's a guy and a gal. And maybe they're dating. And You've you got to realize that some of the things I've told you this weekend are not the standards that are held up in other churches. Some are, some aren't. Okay, I'm not, not saying we're better. I'm, some do and some don't. Many Christian circles... Living together, being immoral before you're married is just accepted. That's the way the world is. We're a, we're a higher and enlightened society today. And so, you know, that's the way it's going to be. Well, you know, I take my stand on the ancient word of God. And I take my stand on God that he knows what's best. So we try to share that. But you've got to understand when people are coming to your group, they come and they bring baggage. And so the goal is for us to set an example of holy living... But that wouldn't mean necessarily in the very beginning I'm going to go right to their faces and say, well, I know you're guests here. It's great to have you. Just want to make sure you guys aren't sleeping together, are you? You know, I mean, I know you're, you're here together and, uh, you know, that's okay. You can come together, but, you know, we don't do that in this church. That's true. We don't. That's not what this church is about. But you've got to give people some time. And as you get to know them, it might be in a week. It might be in three weeks. It might be in a month. You just And I could give you so many stories of people I've worked with in this situation where I actually won them. And they got married. And they're going on strong for God today. That's the goal to win them. Well, I can tell you lots of stories of people you cut loose. You got in their face. Great. Good for you. And they left. Well, and sometimes that's going to happen. Sometimes that's needed. Our goal is to win people. The Bible says in Galatians, if you see your brother caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one. But look to yourself, lest you be tempted. Tempted by what? You ever ask yourself, tempted by what? I think the biggest temptation is to be harsh and judgmental. Lest you be tempted to come down too hard. And now there is appropriate time. And you need to prayerfully consider that. To go up to someone, maybe they've been coming for a little while to your small group, and, and you know now that they know the Lord. 
Well, then the Bible tells us how to deal with a brother or sister in Christ. And so you might want to go to them privately and just interact with them. Help them understand that you love them. Hopefully you've already built a relationship with them. It may have been two or three times out to lunch. They've opened up their life to you. Share your testimony with them. Many of us in this room, I won't have us raise our hands. Many of us in this room have the same stories. We were just as immoral, just as as lost, and, and we struggle. And we can share that as a common bond and help them realize, I understand and I want to help you grow. And it's a really good idea for you to to cease this kind of relationship with this gal or with this guy, whatever it might be. Patiently help them. Like what Randy shared with me one time, he said, you know, Mark, I think we even need to be prepared to have them come and live with us. And I agree with that. I agree with that. Be ready to say, listen, we got a couch in my basement. You can come stay with us. I'll help you. I'll help you be righteous. Randy really touches my heart in this manner. I know of people that he's actually paid their rent for them. And I'm really touched by that. And that's the, the desire. The goal is to win. The goal is not to be going around here, you know, I, boy, I could be laying it on, a, I could lay it on thicker than I am. Can you believe that? I don't. Jesus, you know, I, I want you to understand something. I am. Um, I really am sorry. Sometimes I come across harsh. It's not how I feel. Uh, it, for me, it's zeal. And and someone uh, has come up to me recently and said, "Mark, I'm, I'm you know I'm new enough. I'm trying to figure out how you share what your style is. You know, um, I'm just trying to share the word of God, and I'm trying to share it in a manner that will get your attention. But I'm not mad at you. I'm not frustrated. I'm not upset. I'm passionate." I'm passionate about what the Word of God says, and I'm passionate about the Lord, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not frustrated with you. Jesus wasn't harsh, but let me tell you, the day the disciples saw him make a whip with his own hands and walk into the temple and start beating people out is a day I think their view of Jesus changed just a little bit. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You know, one day you're with the Lord, He's just healing everybody. Be healed. Be healed. You know, and... And all these people are coming to him. And then all of a sudden, the next day, you see Jesus and he takes this whip and he's just, bam, bam, get out of here. How dare you make my father's house a den of thieves? You ever thought about that power of conviction? How come nobody jumped him and tied him down? You ever ask yourself that question? How come they didn't like stone him right then and there? Well, one, because it wasn't his time, but two, People are very afraid of people of convictions. Please don't be afraid of me. I mean that. It, it, it breaks my heart sometimes. People go, Mark, and I'm glad you eventually tell me. And I, I, I was intimidated by you. I'm intimidated. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's nothing to be intimidated about. I'm as human as you. I put my pants on the same way. Sometimes I fall down when I do. I really mean that. I really love you. I really care about you. I guess it's just part of the baggage that comes with the job and coming with being the person that I am. But I love you and I care about you. And you can always know that me and the other guys, the other pastors, would rather die than not share the truth with you. 
And, and if that means some people are going to hate you, and some people are going to misunderstand you, and that's just the way it's going to have to be. But we love you. We care about you. So, and I just have six things I want to share with you this morning that I think will help you know how to walk worthy of the kingdom of God. And every one of them I could develop into hours worth of teachings, but I'm not going to. But there are tapes that you can get that will develop them for you in case it's an area that you go, boy, I want to understand that more. So let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, I just thank you, God, that you are a loving God. And you know, Lord, the fact of the matter is that you are both um, comforting and also awe-inspiring. When John the Apostle finally was in the very presence of God, he fell down and thought he was going to die. When you start speaking to us, Lord, we, I just admit sometimes it is overwhelming. Sometimes we're, we're so aware, Lord, we all, and myself included, we become aware of how frail we really are. What a joy it is to know, Lord, that as frail as we are, we have all your total and complete forgiveness and love. I ask you, God, that this morning would be a holy moment in our lives in a holy time in our lives, and we look back on this weekend and know God spoke to me this weekend. God impacted my life this weekend. I know a number of people, Lord, who've mentioned to me, and I just uh, thank you for their their tender heart, who said, Mark, this weekend's really bothered me. It's 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 made me really uncomfortable, and it's it's made me face things that I don't know if I even want to face. Well, Lord, your desire is to make us more and more like your son. Change is always hard. Change is hard for me. It never stops. It seems like every day, something I'm realizing, I can't be myself anymore. It's very hard for me. Something new. But you want me to jo- to grow in, to change in. I thank you, Lord, that you're not a taskmaster, that you're not over us with a whip, beating us, driving us on, but you lovingly, like a shepherd, you lead us, they're trying to lead us to green pastures, and sometimes the sheep, they got to walk up a steep hill to get to the pasture you want us to go to. Sometime we're in the blinding snowstorm. You're still leading us. I just ask you, God, to direct our hearts this morning into your word and pray that you'd have our fullest attention. I thank you again for these men and women. I thank you for the young men and women that were baptized last night, Lord. And I ask you to especially bless their lives. Thank you for their heart, their willingness to obey Jesus Christ and to identify with Him. I just ask you, God, that you would unite us as believers, unite us in love, cause us to go away from this conference more in love with you and more in love with each other. More loyal to one another. Help us to remember that when we're loyal to one another, we are loyal to Christ. The Bible tells us, Lord, of Moses that he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin for a brief moment. Help us to realize, Lord, that when we identify with your people and we're loyal to one another, that's how we show our loyalty and devotion to Christ. And when we separate from one another and when we're disloyal and disunited with one another, we're disunited with you. I know many do not understand that. Many in the Christian community at large do not see that. But they're wrong and they're in error. I ask you, God, help us. 
Open our hearts now and speak through me, Lord. This is about you, not me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How to walk worthy of the Lord. We talked Friday night about what our calling is and why we want to live up to that calling. I'd really encourage you to go over those verses until you know in your heart, in your heart, that you have had your Damascus Road experience. Now, we don't rely on feelings for that. You don't rely on lights shining around you. What you rely on is when you know in your heart, this is now my conviction. It's my conviction. So the first thing that we must do to walk worthy of God, yesterday we talked all about the practicals of it. I mean, there's so many more things we could talk about, but I tried to hit on some main ones. I felt the Lord was speaking to us about this time. But today I want to talk about how you're going to achieve that. The first thing is make the decision and personal commitment to walk worthy of your calling. Make the decisions and the personal commitment to walk worthy of your calling. Now, this is a guiding principle in my life. I try to think of a simple little analogy. I think that it could be said that almost every one of you in this room, if not all of you, have made a personal decision and a personal commitment to go to work each day of the week. How many of you have made that commitment other than Saturday and Sunday, generally speaking? Okay, put your hand down. How many of you, by and large, are very consistent in that commitment? Raise your hand. Put it back down. Well, I guess you have a conviction, don't you, that unless you go to work, the things that you need and want in life, you won't get. Isn't that true? So your hunger urges you on, as the Bible tells us in Proverbs. So the question is, what are you hungry for spiritually? You need to ask yourself that question. What are you hungry for spiritually? You've got to learn the secret of your makeup, the secret of your, of your being. And that is, we usually go after very tenaciously that which we want. Some of us, you know, we want to get married really bad. We always try to make sure we look really good in almost every situation where the opposite sex is going to be around. We say the right things, do the right things, pray for the right things. We're, we're highly motivated. God wants us to be highly motivated to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those, the Bible says, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what do you want? What do you want? Paul says in Philippians, he says that in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them dumb. Literally a pile of poop is what it means. I hate to tell you that, but that's exactly what it means. Just a pile of dung. Everything else in my life, and I mean this, pales in my comparison to wanting to know the Lord. I want to know Him. I want to please Him. I want to serve Him. He is the love of my life. My wife knows that she always comes in second. My kids know they always come in second. 
But when they come in second to God, they always get more love from me than they'd ever get if they came in first. Because of my honor and fear of God. You always be a more loving person. So that needs to be the driving force of your life. See, the driving motivation of your life. And it was the secret to Paul's standards. It was the secret to Paul's zeal, to Paul's righteousness. Now, after you have that, then you can begin making decisions based on that. I try to make all my decisions based on that, on that commitment. All my follow-through is based on that commitment to the Lord Jesus and to doing His will as long as I have breath in my being. And that decision has chosen where I live. Do I like it here? No. I do not like the cold in this state. I do not like seven months of the year basically being shut up in a room. I don't like it. Do I struggle at times with envy for my brothers who get to live in Fort Collins, the banana belt of Colorado with mountains in their backyard, mountain bike whenever, wherever they want? Talk about exciting single times. Imagine living there. Or my brothers who live in Honduras that is tropical all the time, just the birds chirp, the sun comes up every day. Sure I do. But I kill it. Because God has me here and people are more important than me enjoying nice weather and being able to breathe a little easier because I'm in a drier climate. There are millions of people literally in this country and the world who move on a whim because they like someplace else better. Well, I won't. Unless the Lord leads and the counsel of others concur with the Lord leading, saying, I think it's time for you to go. So I, I, all my decisions are based on that. My decision as a father, and I'm saying, by the way, in this realm, anyone has to do the same, but my wife and I are decision to homeschool our children. I knew that wasn't going to be popular with in-laws. I don't really care. All I care about is their future and their life and their character and their being and their life with God. That's all I care about. So I made that decision based on my commitment to the Lord Jesus. And guess what? It was the right one. It was the right one. I made my lifestyle decisions based on what I believe the convictions God gave me from the Word. And God may give each of us little different convictions in these areas. And that's fine. The main issue is that I'm doing it to please the Lord and they don't own me. God owns me. I've shared with you singles before. I'll share it again. Just be careful what you possess lest your possessions possess you. Just be careful. We live in the most hedonistic, pleasure-seeking, discontent country in the world. Every day you are bombarded with things you don't have. Our whole society operates that way. Greed, the wanting of more, the wanting of more. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. So be careful of the decisions that you make. All right, so you've got to make the decision, and I would encourage you this weekend, I would encourage you to write it down. I would, in a little journal, I would encourage you to date it. On this day, from this day forward, I have made a personal decision. Lord, I am yours. You are number one in my life, and I will do everything I have to do in my life to make sure you stay number one. I will serve you. I regularly go out with the Lord. 
If you want to call them dates, you can call them dates, whatever you want. I regularly go out with the Lord, and I'll be there just in prayer alone, and I'll be walking in this place that I go, and I'll just recommit and say, Lord, my feet are yours. Lord, once again, I give you my hands. Lord, I give you my mouth. I give you, Lord, my mind. I give you my body. It's yours. Lord, my wife, she's yours. Lord, my kids, they're yours. Because they are His. I'm the Lord's. And I want to please Him, and I, and I want to serve Him, and I want Him to be enjoying the service that He's getting from me. So that's number one. Number two. Number two. Remember who you have become in Christ. Remember who you already are. You are a new creation. God has already made you righteous and worthy. Now go and live out what you are. Remember what you have become in Christ. You are a new creation. God has already made you righteous and worthy. Now go live out what you are. That's very important. You know, some of you I know, you just get, you just get so discouraged with yourself. Because your eyes are on the old you instead of the new you. And you keep focusing on all the things you're falling down on instead of going, you know what, Lord, you made me new and I want to grow just like a baby grows. When a baby is born, generally speaking, unless, unless a, a, a defect or some aberration, and because of sin in our planet, those things happen. But generally speaking, when a little child is born, and before they're born, but when they're born, they have all, everything they need. they got five little fingers in each hand, cute little arms and pudgy little legs and five little toes and little feet and cute little mouth little ears and little eyes and the ears go and they get bigger like these ears you know and, and their little legs they just they grow everything's there and the baby doesn't lay in the crib going oh, I'm a loser I'm a loser I don't have everything I need you know they don't, you know they just grow because they drink the milk and they eat the food and they grow. And like, it's been unbelievable. You know, usually I haven't known, noticed too many changes in my children. I mean, when you're living there, you know, sometimes you just, you don't. But, oh my gosh, has my daughter Jessica changed. Holy smoke. I have a picture about two years ago to now, as this is a different young woman. You know, she's this cute little girl, you know, she's about nine and a half years old. And bam, and I, I haven't noticed that with any of my other kids quite like I did with her. You just, you grow. You grow. You're growing. When you came to know the Lord and you were born out of the womb of God, you get all your spiritual little fingers and all your spiritual toes and none of you are better than the other. You got a spiritual little mind. You got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Just like when you were born, you had the human spirit living inside of you. Now you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now grow. Go and grow. Well, how do we do that? Well, we eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. As newborn babies, Peter says, always as newborn babies, eagerly desire the pure milk of the Word that you might grow and respect your salvation. And I'll get to that in a minute. And so remember who you are. It was a tape series I did a long time ago. You have to be patient with me. Some of it sounds pretty far out or radical because I was much younger then than I am now. But it's called the New Creature Covenant. And, and if you struggle with this, I would get that because it talks about all about the new creation that we are in Jesus Christ. That's what the new covenant is. It's the new creature covenant. In the Old Testament, nobody became a new creation. 
God lived with you for a time and then He could leave you. Just like David cried out in Psalm 51, Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That would never even enter my mind because God's promised me He won't. Because I'm different than David. I am completely and totally reborn and remade. I am God's holy son. So are you. I have no more tools than you have. I simply may be just like... Now get this, this will really help you. I simply may be more coordinated in my use of the tools because I've been using them a long time. Just like little children. Do I get frustrated? You know, when my little son was little, trying to put his Legos together and he's like, uh, and they won't go together? Of course not. Dad comes along. Well, here, I'll help you. We put them together. Now he just puts them together, you know, and his hands are coordinated. You ever, do you get down a little baby because they reach out to grab something and they miss and their little arms not coordinated yet? Of course not. But it'd be very discouraging. Forcing little babies automatically aren't designed this way. But it'd be really discouraging if they decide, I ain't going to try anymore. Have you ever seen uh, little children? I, you know, I've been around four of them personally, and I was the oldest of six, so I saw this a lot growing up as a kid. When they try to learn to walk, you ever thought how frustrating it is to try your little legs, you know, and then, and then bam, you fall down, you're behind, or you fall. You ever seen a baby, and my kids never did this, but something, bam, on the edge of the coffee table. Bam, you scream, bump, blood. An hour later, they're trying to do it again. Are they dumb or what? I'm not dumb. They've been programmed to succeed. They've been programmed. I'm going to walk. That's how you live the Christian life. You're going to fall down, bump your head. You're going to have your spills. Don't quit. It's not in our nature to. God made you new. You're holy anyway. You know, a little child falls down, or like a little baby, when they're crawling, they go, well, I'm a puppy now because all I can do is crawl. <laughs> and lap up their food and they feel like a dog. They're not a dog, they're a human. They just haven't quite learned how to walk yet on two legs. And you may be some of the, the same way, some of you here. Am I frustrated by that? Absolutely not. And if your small group leader is, give me a call and I'll help them. You know, you learn to crawl and then you learn to take those steps and... But here's the thing. Here's the thing to understand. Sometimes you can walk faster. And I'm going to share this very frankly with you. If you just have the will and the gumption to obey. Okay? I used to tell my wife, before she was my wife, and I'd write in a letter, says, always remember, Kathy, you'll grow as fast as you're willing to obey. That's very true. Now, does that get frustrating sometimes? Yes. I have to trust God with it. That's part of building the church. See, we're adults and we have a mind and we can make choices. So that's the difference sometimes between a little baby and an adult. There's both perspectives and you have to keep them in balance. You know, I, I know full well that not every single person in this room will go home and decide, man, I'm going to be radical. I'm living up to this calling. I am going to be great for God. God is going to use me, and I will not stop till it's happened. And then after it's happened, I'll go on to something even greater and be even more Christ-like. Some will. Some of you won't. Some of you will spin your wheels for a while. Some of you will take some time to process it, which is a good thing. Go think about it and ponder it. But all of you, I want you to know this. If you did make a decision and decided, you know what? No more excuses. I'm not a baby. I'm an adult. I've got a mind. I'm 30 years old. I'm 25 years old. 
I've seen the truth. I've seen the light. And I'm going to obey it. Well, now, that will make a significant difference in your life. And that's what I was talking about in number one. But you do need to remember, you're, you're just, my goodness, you're as holy as you're going to get on the inside. Right now, if God took you to heaven, you'd be no more holy. The only difference is, hallelujah, you don't have this stinking body anymore. And I can't wait for that day to be done with this flesh. But you just be as righteous as you are now. Not because, well, wherever you left off on earth, you're in heaven. You go to that level. That's not right at all. You're already up to God's level inside. Now God wants us to begin reflecting on our outside in our daily decisions what we are already in Jesus Christ. Do you all understand that? Is that you follow me? Nod your head. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, I see some heads not nodding. Well, anyway, think about it. Okay. Number three. Remember God's grace helps us say no to sin. Remember God's grace helps us to say no to sin in the first place. And if we fail to say no, <clears throat> grace picks us up after we sin. You must be strong in the grace of God. Paul tells Timothy, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of God. If you go to uh, <clears throat> Titus for just a moment, I'll show you this verse about the grace of God teaching us to say no to ungodliness. See, the law really didn't teach anybody to do that. The law just reminded you of what you weren't all the time. The law, Galatians tells us, was our taskmaster to bring us to sin. God has freed us from the law. The law was always reminding us, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, you don't measure up. Romans makes it extremely crystal clear that all the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us through our faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's never been a day that I've not had peace with God. Now, there have been days that I've not believed that I didn't have peace with God. But there's never been a day since I came to Christ that God was not at peace with me, no matter what had just gone on in my life. Because the issue is I've been justified by my faith in Jesus Christ. It's His deal, not mine. And that is, you've got to get a hold of the Grasping Grace tapes. If you don't understand that, maybe get a hold of some of the Renew tapes, some of the tapes that have been done in the book of Romans. That is critical. Critical. It's the most critical for you living a victorious Christian life. You've got to understand that. But the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches, what is it? Grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Once again, that's another way you know you have Jesus in you because you're eager to want to do what is good. Deep down inside, even though you struggle, you're eager. I want to do what's good. I want to do what's good. And God develops that in our life. 
But notice that it's God's grace that teaches us to say no. See, grace tells us, and I don't have to do that anymore. I used to be enslaved to that. I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Grace is also power. I've told you, if you've been to the Grasping Grace class, that grace is a generic term, not a cheap term, but a generic term relating to almost anything you might need. Strength, peace, power, joy, grace. God gave me His grace for this situation. Someone might mean God gave me strength. God has been so gracious to me. Someone might mean God has been so forgiving to me. God gives us His grace, and they teach us to say no. We ought to have a just say no campaign at Evergreen. Just say no. No, I'm not going to be part of that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to think that thought. I'm going to, and the devil throws it back. I'm just throw it back out and put a new one there. You know, I'll tell you the best thing to do with the devil is don't play ping pong with him. Don't get into his mental ping pong game. You know, he puts a lustful thought there and you go boom, boom, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just decide, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to think, I'm going to put this in my mind. Put something in your mind. Develop a disciplined mind. De, you know, the Bible says in Pro, uh, Proverbs, it talks about the adulteress, and it says to the man, it says, don't go near her house, don't let yourself think about her. See, I guess if God said that, it must mean we have the ability to gain victory in our thoughts. That, by the way, is the primary reason, not the only reason, but the primary reason people struggle with depression or get discouraged. Just start examining what they've been thinking about the last six months. And you'll find out, my goodness, if you'd been thinking those things day in and day out, hour after hour, you'd be in the throes of depression as well. Do you ever think about that? Have you ever examined when you're discouraged? I want you to do this next time for your own, your own just life lesson. Do you get really discouraged? All right, when you're down there, you're just really discouraged. Just life, you know, just feeling terrible. I want you to stop, look in the mirror, and ask yourself, all right, I'm discouraged. What have I been thinking since this discouragement began? And you'll find out that they're very discouraging thoughts. And very discouraging thoughts make for a very discouraging emotions. And very discouraging emotions make for just being wiped out. How many recognize that? Raise your hand. Well, there you go. See, your witnesses to the truth. Let every fact be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Well, you just confirmed it. That's why the Bible says, guard your mind. Above all that you guard, guard your heart. For from it flow the source of your life. Guard it. Guard it. You see the enemy coming, boom, pick them off. Don't let them in there. But the other thing to do is be proactive with your mind. But good things there, and that's in obedience to Philippians chapter 4. that says, finally, brothers, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's upright, whatever's godly, think about these things. Whatever you've learned and seen and heard from me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You'll experience peace. Psalm says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So, it's not brain surgery. I want you to know it's not rocket science. It's just putting one foot in front of the other, knowing what to do, and consistently doing it. Consistently doing it. 
Luke chapter 7, I just want to show you this. I want to show you how grace affects our life. Many, many, many years ago, about 17, I was listening to a man who is my uh, spiritual mentor. He could be far more intimidating than I am. And he was... uh, I just, I just really looked up to this man. He's just probably the most godly man I'd ever been around in my life. Really loved the Lord. Extremely passionate. Spoke with tremendous conviction. And he was sharing one day. He said, listen, I want to share something. I want to share with you a secret. You give me a young man or woman who begins to grasp how great they've been forgiven and understand their forgiveness and I'll show you an individual will become one of the most dynamic Christians around. They'll be able to help people that no one else could help. They'll live a life that's above what other people will live. And God will really be able to use them. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, wow, I could do that. I'd like to know how much I'm forgiven. I would really like meditating on that. You know, fortunately for me, I was gullible enough to believe him. And I, and I use that word, I mean that. Sometimes what it comes down to, we just need to be gullible enough to believe the Word of God and quit fighting and believing all of our logic. Because God, often to our mind, is extremely illogical in His processes. Like telling someone they'll live if they die, that, come on, give me a break, it's a paradox. Telling someone they'll really become more righteous if they understand how forgiven they are, isn't that a paradox? I thought someone needs to understand how much they need to be trying, and the more I lay that on them, the more righteous they'll want to be. So you go to Luke chapter 7, and this is a true story. Most of you know it. We start in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned and what this woman was a prostitute, that's what this means. When she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, this is a pretty amazing scene. You can imagine, Jesus has already been accused of being unholy and being a friend of tax collectors and sinners and having a demon. You know, this is the last thing Jesus needs happening in front of all the Pharisees. Because they're the ones who end up killing him in, in the end anyway. So he's sitting there, you know, at this table, reclining, and this woman... Probably, I'm just guessing, probably very, fairly attractive because this was her line of work, is behind Jesus. And we don't know how long she's known the Lord. We don't know if her dress has changed. And she's back there crying with this long, beautiful Jewish hair, probably very dark, black, thick, long hair. And she's just drying Jesus' feet and putting his perfume on his feet. And Jesus is just sitting there eating. And Simon, you know what Simon's thinking, a little weasel. And Simon, who invited him, said to him, Self, if this man were a prophet. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. You know, I had a situation happen one time. I was, uh, this is many years ago at Evergreen, and it was uh, a woman who had come to, uh, someone here brought them. It was a friend they were trying to reach. 
for the Lord. And this woman was, uh, you know, really, really out there. She was uh, traveled with rock bands. This was her life. And, and um, one day, at, right after the service, I was right by the donut area. I was in the hall, and she was, uh, she's, you know, she did not know what the word modest meant. Let's put it that way. And uh, I hope nobody gets upset when I'm saying this. I just want to show you how, how people can get things in their mind. This one basically looked like Dolly Parton. And this one wanted to talk to me. And God was working in her life. She basically wanted to talk about getting saved. I don't know if she did. So you know the bench that's right there, right there in the open, that bench, you know, that's right there with the glass stuff and everything. So I sit down on the bench and this woman sit down next to me, not like, you know, next to me, and we're talking, we're having this conversation. I found out later from someone else, this is about a five-minute conversation, it wasn't really long because there's a lot of people to meet, and I said, you're sure welcome to call me on the phone if you'd like, and, and uh, next thing I know, you know, Somebody's accusing Mark. I think Mark's having an affair. I think it's really absurd that Mark would be seen with someone like that. It happens. You wouldn't believe the things that get said. I mean, it happens. Was that my intention? Here's Jesus, you know. Was that Jesus' intention? And this Pharisee's getting really heavy with the Lord, you know. He's getting really judgmental and really vindictive. So Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher, Mr. Phony. Oh, speak it, Lord. I want to hear. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. Boy, you talk about getting in your face. Hey, Jesus wasn't shy. You don't think this guy felt like this small when Jesus was done with him? He said, You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Do you understand what this means? Sometimes people have asked me, Mark, I just, at conferences, I meet people who don't know me. They go, Mark, I just, how at your age, how have you kept this fire, this passion? How come, you know, I know you love the Lord. Why? Sometimes I'll tears my eyes. I'll say, well, because I guess I know how much the Lord's forgiven me. You know, sometimes when people come up, the reason this woman was doing this, she wasn't sensually drawn to Jesus. Jesus represented to her more love than she'd ever experienced in her life. And she went to show her affection towards him. You know, the other night when I told you about sometimes I've had people come by and kiss me on the cheek, it's the same thing. Except I'm not, the, I'm not God. But there's been messages that I've shared, and I can see out in the room, there's tears everywhere. And people are going, my gosh, the Lord loves me? I really matter to God? And I've had people come up and just, will kiss me on the cheek and go, you'll never know. You will never know how much what that meant to me today. But it happens. 
That's God working in people's lives. And I try, you know, to be extremely cautious and extremely careful because we live in a real crazy world. And Jesus did too. But the point of this whole story, and the reason God allowed it to happen, was to pass a lesson on to us. That the more you understand the grace that God's given to you, the more you understand the depth of what you've been forgiven, the more you love the Lord. Now, do you know what it means to love the Lord? It means the more obedient of a person you will be. Because Jesus said, He who loves me will obey me. It's the secret to obedience is understanding the grace and love of God for your life. You've got to grasp this. You've got to get a hold of it. Paul says in Ephesians, I pray that you might comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of God though it's beyond comprehension, and so be filled up with the fullness of God. The Living Bible says, I pray that your roots might go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, so that you might understand with all the saints how high and deep and wide and long His love is for you, though it's beyond comprehension, and so be filled up with the fullness of God. That's why. That's why. This crazy guy shares with you over and over and over and over and over again on the love and grace of God. Because it is the power to change your life. See? And all of us in this room, boy, you know, some of you weren't as big a sinners as I was. You know, maybe your debt wasn't as big. But you know, the more, the, the more you walk with the Lord, you begin to realize, wow, my debt really is pretty big. And the Lord forgave me a ton. A ton. And I love Him for it. I love Him for it. And I decide I ain't going to wait till I see Him to kiss His feet. I do it now with my life. And that's what Romans 12 means. When it says in view, with God's mercies in view, not God's judgment in view, with God's mercies in the center of your eyesight. I urge you to present your body a living, holy sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable spiritual act of worship. That's the only reasonable thing a person can do. You know, who's forgiven you so much? You remember the movie, Pretty Woman? Not exactly a great righteous movie, you know, in the whole world, but, you know, people still kind of like this, kind of cute uh, I probably get in trouble for calling that cute, but anyway, I don't mean it's something to emulate. Just I'm trying to give you an illustration. You remember how our life changed when someone loved her and cared about her? I realize, you know, well, I was kind of sick. Marky kind of used her, yeah, but you know, the movie ends up kind of neat and, and and sweet, and they get married and all that kind of stuff. That's what happens, you know, when someone comes along and values you in your life. When someone takes you out of your zone, the trash zone that you used to live in, and all of a sudden, and you know to yourself, I am trash, and treats you like you're the most priceless thing in the world. Boy, it does something to you. If it hasn't done that to you yet, it's just because you don't realize how priceless you are and how much trash you once were. That's all. It'll change your life. I could go on about that 
I won't. I guess I lied. I didn't mean to when I said we wouldn't get into grace this week, and I guess we did. What can I say? Can't get away from it. Number four. You must walk by faith, not by feelings. You must choose to believe what God says is true and act upon it. And act upon it. We, you must walk by faith, not by feelings. You must choose to believe what God says is true and act on it. I have a little saying in my book of thoughts. It goes like this. We've, we do not feel our way through life. We will our way through life. We do not feel our way through life. We must will our way through life. And that's very important that you understand that. You must make decisions based on what's right. This is right. And see, see, we're, it's not hypocritical. Let's just say here, Jeff Brown wronged me. He didn't. I'm making this all hypothetical. Right. Now, I'm, I feel really hurt by Jeff, and I'm really upset. Am I a hypocrite if I go up to Jeff and say, Jeff, I forgive you. If I don't feel forgiving in my heart, are you a hypocrite? How many have felt like if you do that, you're a hypocrite? Raise your hand if you were to do something like that. It's hypocritical. Okay, I want you to know something. It's not. And that's why the devil, that's why the devil traps you. What we think is unless all my emotions come along, and I am totally in agreement with all this, and I just feel this wave of, oh, Jeff, I just love you, man. I just, like, just... It, it's not. We walk by faith, not how we feel. We do what's right because it's right. And that's the righteous thing to do. That's the righteous thing to do. And usually in time, your feelings will catch up. Your feelings will catch up. But in this nation, in this world, we are totally geared to living by how we feel. Doing what we feel. Saying what we feel. Feed your faith by feeding on the Word. It's the only way you're going to develop your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. See? So the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, look, if you had just little faith, you could say this mountain be moved if it's real. It's little. But then later on it tells you, if you want your faith to grow, then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And the more you hear the Word of God, the more you expose yourself to God's truth, the more you see your life change, the greater steps of faith you'll take. I could talk about that a long time. I just want to make this statement. You've really got to discipline yourself to get into the book. Okay? But particularly, you need to discipline yourself in the air of meditation. Thinking about the Word of God throughout the day. Taking little note cards. Stick them in your dashboard as you go to work. Take them out of the car as you go. Carry them with you and put them on your desk. Think about them during the day. Hide God's Word in your heart. Think about what it means to you. My advice to you would be to take the next couple weeks, instead of having your normal quiet time routine, this is totally up to you though. You know, Don't feel like you're disobeying God if you don't do this. It's just a suggestion. It's just take these notes and go over them. If you want to get the tapes, that's completely up to you. Go over them. Go over them. Ponder them. And then make decisions related to them. And it'll drive it home. 
Maybe you want to expand it even more. You want to go, you know what? These six points I want to develop in every one of these areas. I'm going to get tapes related to each one of these areas. And I'm going to go over them, over them. I'm going to memorize some of the corresponding verses. I'm going to think about them. That's called a very organized, planned out manner, proactive way to grow in your faith. And even though you don't think I'm that kind of person, I did that for years. That's how I grew. It's kind of like bodybuilding, targeting specific muscles of the leg. Well, I'm going to do the leg here now. Okay, I'm going to do the back. Okay, I'm going to do the arm. Different truths help develop different areas of your life. Number five, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is another verse that probably be enlightening to us. 2 Peter chapter 1. And number five is remember God's power and God's promises. Remember God's power and God's promises. And so we read here starting with verse three. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now notice this. God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. That's what I was sharing with you earlier. You're the baby now. you got everything you need. Everything. It's all in the package. God didn't leave anything out of your package. No spiritual birth defects with those who are born again. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of Him who called us. Who, there we go again. He called you. By His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His great and precious promises. So through them, you may participate in the godly, godlike nature. In the divine. Instead of being human, now you get to be like God. You get to participate in the supernatural divine realm instead of in the human realm. In the supernatural realm instead of the natural realm. And we do that through God's promises. For example, this is giving you a foolish little example, but I think it will help you understand. Many years ago, my wife and I had just gotten married. It was our first year of marriage. We got married May 5th, 1979. And so, uh, during that summer, I was a cook at a Ramada Inn and... Um, I picked up cigarette stubs out of the parking lot. It was my great job. We had some friends that cooked at a sorority, and these two gals that cooked there, they were in the church. They were going to be leaving the job, so they asked us if we might want it because it was pretty pretty cushy as, as jobs go. You lived in the sorority in the basement. Your food was paid for. Your electricity was paid for. And your phone was paid for. Your wash and dryer was paid for. And, and then you got like $500 besides. And your rent was paid for and all that. Just like I thought I'd died and go to heaven. You don't have a chance like that. So my wife and I went and applied. We went to the house mother and we went to the, the committee of the girls, you know, who run the sorority and, and uh, we got the job. And I told them right up front, right up front, I was extremely honest. I said, well, um, you know, you had to oversee a $40,000 budget. I said, well, I've never done that. Uh, you have to plan menus. Well, I've never done that. Um... The only thing I've ever done has been a breakfast cook. I know how to put toast in a toaster, and I've cooked eggs. But 
before I went to apply for this, I sought the Lord. I said, Lord, now look, this is, this is the one chance. This is the only chance I got for a better, a better standard of living for my family. You know, for my, my wife was pregnant then with Celeste. And, um, and I said, Lord, um, I'm not going to lie, but I need a promise from you because I have no experience at all being a chef or a cook. None whatsoever. And so I'm reading in the Bible, and I come to the verse, and the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, of course, I learned later on as I got to be an older Christian that I misapplied the verse, because the verse really means I can handle, I can go through difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean that I could be a brain surgeon right now because I'm claiming the promise. <laughs> but fortunately, at that time in my young life, I was gullible, and I believed it. And my wife and I went to the sorority. The first thing that got dropped on us was rush week. Rush. They go rushing people through. So I'm cutting watermelon baskets, cutting, digging with little ice cream scoops. I went to the chef where I used to work and asked him for some tricks. He gave me some ideas. We made these homemade banana muffins. We made all this stuff. We made this stuff for the girls. My wife and I were working together in this, in this uh, kitchen, you know. And you know, we made it through the year. The girls loved us. A couple of them got saved. Farley you, was one of the waiters there, and his friend Dennis came to know the Lord that year. My daughter was an honorary Alpha Chi Omega. And, um, <laughs> and for the first time, the cooks at that house only went $300 over the budget. The last one had gone 10000 over. And when you go over that much, the girls have to stay in the summer to pay it off till it's paid. I got to take part in the divine nature that quarter, that year. I got to do something that was like, well, this isn't me, this is God. Every day, this is God. And we made it. Cockroaches and all. We'd wake up in the middle of the night and be crawling over my wife's head, you know. It's really fun, boy, the things we've been through. I could tell you stories. My wife and I lived below the kitchen. And when they'd come to spray for bugs, fine, the bugs would all come down to our house. See? So you'd open the door, you'd walk in, and here was the bathroom. Here it was cinder block bricks painted. That was our walls. Here was the living room. Here was our bedroom. So you had a water bed there, and we had one of those little mini refrigerators. And on top of it, I taped that uh, those bed paddings, you know, that you put under sheets. And that was Celeste's changing table. And then in the living room, you know, was her little tiny baby crib. And, you know, that's how we lived. Yeah, we thought we'd died and gone to heaven, you know. It was just great. The Lord took care of us. And I had my little $250 F85 Oldsmobile parked in the back. Rusty maroon. <laughs> you know? That's where I learned all these lessons, you know? Yeah, I could take part in the divine nature. I can do things that I never thought I could do. God can help me. Well, not only does He help us with the practicals, but all my jobs, by the way, that I took, I was never trained for. I've never been to college of any kind. When I start, when I became a salesman, auto parts, I, you know, do I know about cars? Am I a motorhead? No. Do I know what a muffler is? Yeah. Do I know what a battery is? Yeah. Do I know what a tire is? Yeah. Do I know what a spark plug is? Yeah. Do I know what the intake manifold is? I'm not quite sure if I can find that or not. <laughs> but it was a matter of survival. It was the only job available. And you know what? I had to have my own car to get the job, and I didn't have a car. Well, I didn't tell them that. I wasn't lying, because they didn't directly ask me. 
They didn't. The guy just said, I went to apply for the job, and uh, I had been out of work for four months. My wife and I lived, would go buy a fryer chicken, a bag of potatoes and carrots. We'd boil the chicken, boil the potatoes, boil the carrots, and we had chicken soup every day. And, and her homemade bread. And that's what we lived on in those days for a long time. So finally, you know, I, I had to turn the car back in that I bought. I was in this direct marketing business. That's another long story. I won't get into that. Anyway, had reached this level to get the new car bonus, got the new car bonus. Then my partner and our whole business went down the tubes. And of course, the payment for the new car was gone. And so I took it back to the dealership. Had to pay him $600 to take it back, but he took it. So I had to go on a payment plan to pay that back. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what do I do, Lord? I need a job. I need to take care of my family. My, uh, I think our second baby was coming then. Either that or, you know, he was there. I can't remember. And um, so I start letting my fingers do the walking, and I go to the Ace section of the business, and I start calling every, every business in Ames. I said, yes, I was wondering if I could speak to the personnel department. Act real professional, you know. Personnel department in a Burger King. Can you imagine? And, oh, just one moment. And I said, yes, I was just calling to see if you had any openings for employment right now. Well, what do you do? Well, you know about whatever you'd need. No, I'm sorry, we don't hang up the phone. Finally got to the S's. I got to this auto parts store. Guy answered the phone. I asked, did the, did the routine? He goes, how'd you know... We need some, we need some, we let somebody go an hour ago. And I said, you want me, you really want me, I'm good. I had to tell the truth, I said, well, actually, i just been going through the business section, I happened to get to the S's and you were in the next call. Oh, well, yeah, you can come in and apply, so I went in. I think I rode a bike there, because it was in town, but the place I had to go apply was in Marshalltown. So I went there, borrowed a friend's car, went in a blizzard and applied. And then they kind of put you on hold. I'm a pretty persistent guy. So I kept calling, kept calling. Finally, this Friday, he said, yeah, Mark, you start Monday morning. You know, you got to have your own car. I said, okay. And said, uh, you know, we'll see you Monday morning. Okay, great. Hang up the phone. <laughs> what am I going to do for a car? You know, nobody give me a loan. I mean, I couldn't go. You got you to understand, I have no credit and no credit rating whatsoever. And I'm not going to get a loan, and where am I going to come up with a car? My dad's gone. You know, my dad just left my mom. My mom's broke. I don't have nobody to, I don't have nobody to depend on in my life. Never had. So I get on my knees, my wife and I, Lord, you know this is the only job that's come up in four months. I really need this job. I know you don't play with our emotions. If you want to take it, fine. But Lord, I want to ask that you provide us a car. I need a car by Monday morning. I need a car. It's going to be really embarrassing. Lord, i got to call him and tell him, I guess what, I, geez, I don't have a car. So Saturday came, no car. Sunday came, you know. Sunday afternoon came, no car. Sunday early evening came, and I'm thinking, well, Lord, I just need a car. You know, just about any car that runs, Lord, would do, but I just need a car. Ten o'clock that night, the phone rings. ringy ling lingy that's the days when they went ringy lingy lingy <laughs> none of those electronic things back in the olden days so I go pick up the phone I said this is Mark I said Mark this is um, Marty I said Marty it was a girl Marty I said okay 
She said, well, Mark, she said, um, you know, I heard you need a car. I said, you did? I hadn't really told anybody. She said, well, yes, I did. And I said, here's, here's the deal. I work at the university. It's two blocks from my house. When it's cold and rainy, I ride the bus that takes us free to the university. My car has been sitting in storage for six months. Now, I've heard it's really good for a car to be used. So I was just wondering if you'd use my car. <laughs> this is no lies. I'm not making this up. <laughs> I said, are you sure? I mean, you realize I'm going to have to load catalogs in the back in the trunk and, and I have to drive around these country roads. Oh, no, that's, I'd like that. <laughs> oh, what kind of car is it? Well, it's a 70, uh, 77 AMC Matador with air conditioning. Yeah, it's got air conditioning. Why? I never had air conditioning before. You got to understand. Never had that before. I said, that would be wonderful. Now, you're sure you want to do this? Yeah, I'm sure. Well, uh, how do I get it? Oh, I'll bring it right over. She brought it over. I drove her home. I used that car for the next year. I could tell you a lot of stories. You know, Lord, give us a house that way, too, my wife and I. That's another story. I won't get into it. I just want to tell you something. The promises of God, they work. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33 When you start claiming them, holding on to them, and standing on them, even though the wind's blowing against you, and all the doubters are shouting in your ear, and all your emotions are telling you, Oh man, this is scary. Stand your ground. And you'll walk on water. But you'll never walk on water if you decide, you know what? I'm going back to the boat. <laughs> back, to, back to Egypt I go. Can't do that. These are great promises. They're better than money in the bank. But you've got to hold on to them. You've got to dig into them. You've got to be tenacious about them. The Bible tells us in Romans that Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to do. Are you persuaded? Have you allowed God, time with God, to persuade you God can do what He said? And I'm going to put my eggs in God's basket. Now I want to go on because I want to show you something here, very critical. For this very reason, now it goes into, again, your calling, your high calling. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, see, even I've got to be increasing. We've all got to keep increasing. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Okay, pause there before we go on. What is he saying? He's saying grow. He's saying, let's get serious about your growth. Make efforts. You've got to grow. Let's become more like Christ because that way you'll be productive and effective for the Lord as you keep growing. And then look what he says is the secret. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You forgot your forgiveness. You forgot your forgiveness. When you remember how much you've been forgiven, it's empowerment. And you realize, my goodness, I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to look at the past. Paul says, 
Forget what's behind. Press on to what's ahead. One thing I one thing I do, and I can tell you this: this one thing I have done religiously, almost perfectly, but not quite, for many years. I just forget what's back there. There's nothing back there for you, especially your failures. Forget them. Get your eyes out here. You've been forgiven. You're as clean right now as before that happened. The past, how long does it take before the past is the past? I was wondering. Does anyone have an answer? Gee, is it a day? Maybe a week. How about a second? It's already past what I just said. It's past. Get your mind here on the Lord, okay? Remember God's promises. The last one is, and I don't have time to develop this one, Remember, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you to help make you holy and spiritual. Remember, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, all the power in the entire universe and beyond, lives inside of you to help make you holy and spiritual. Let Him do His job. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Almost finished, okay? Just hang in there with me. Galatians chapter 5. And verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the <clears throat> to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And that's what's going on, seeing a person who knows the Lord. There's this conflict. And often what happens is we end up doing what we don't want. But the key is to overcoming that is if you're led by the Spirit, you won't be under the law. You won't be under the law, the law of the flesh, the law of all these other things. The acts, okay, now he describes this, of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this, notice, who live like this, not who do these things once in a while. They live like this. It's their habit of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they're not saved. But the fruit of the Spirit, does a tree work for fruit? Does an apple tree grunt and moan to get apples to come on its limb? It doesn't, does it? Neither is it really your own physical work that makes you fruitful. Now, there's effort that's involved in learning to be filled with the Spirit. In walking with the Word, there are things you need to do, self-disciplines, etc. But the fruit, it's just part of the nature of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. See, past tense, we belong to Christ, we've already crucified the sinful nature. So since we live by the Spirit, that's how we live 
Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Keep up with Him. Walk with Him. Let Him fill you. Let Him live His life through you. Now, just so you know, don't get too mystical here on you. You don't just kind of sit in a room and go, hmm, just fill me, Spirit. Just fill me right now. Oh, just take me over, Spirit. Anyway, you know, we fall over and all of a sudden, you know, the Spirit moves in. It's such a joke. Being filled with the Spirit is a choice of your will. In the book of Ephesians, if you were to go to it, in Colossians, they're like parallel passages. One of them says, uh, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another in the Psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs. If you go to Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you speak to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The point is you can't be filled with the Spirit if you're not filled with the Word. You've got to be filled with the Word, have the Word on your mind, be pondering as the Spirit fills you and you walk in the Spirit. Secondly, realize that you walk in the Spirit by faith, not by how you feel. You step out and you choose to love where ordinarily you choose to hate. But something very interesting happens. And I'm sure all of you have had this kind of experience once in your life at least. You did something and you knew later it wasn't me. God helped me do that. I mean, you know, I felt hateful, I felt angry, I was angry. But you know what? I knew God wanted me to love Him. So I stepped out in faith and voila, guess why you loved Him? Because it was God extending Himself through you supernaturally. Giving you the strength to stay calm when ordinarily there was turmoil. Now here's the key. You've got to understand this. Sometimes you're going to feel the turmoil while at the same time, the fruit of the Spirit's coming out of you. There's a lot of other little things, little tidbits I could tell you, but, but it would take too long. There are some tapes that I think Brent and Mark have done on being filled with the Spirit. I would get them. I would go over them. I would develop that, that uh, understanding and conviction of your soul. These are six things. There may be many more. I'm sure there are. But there were six that I thought were really critical for this time. I'm sorry if this didn't wow you like maybe you thought it was going to. I just thought it would be good to give you some points this morning. Never fails I do this kind of stuff. People go up, why don't you teach like that all the time? I don't know. Because I think some things are appropriate sometimes and other things are appropriate at different times. Let's bow our heads and, and ask the Lord to bless our time and Give us a safe trip home. I want to ask you to do something. It's kind of a tradition with me. You don't have to do it, but um, if you want to, I would, I'd really appreciate it. Usually when I'm doing these conferences, you know, I'm flying somewhere, so I have a long plane trip or a long drive. Um, and so what I ask people to do when I have boxes of this stuff at home is uh, I'd like you to take out a sheet of paper, and uh, you can use uh, you know, any seat. Don't use your evaluation. That's for them. This would be for me. And I'd like you to share with me, if you want, what you got from this weekend, what God spoke to you about this weekend. What did He impress your heart with? And then uh, I'll kind of be back there by that water thing there, and my backpack's back there. And you can just leave them on the table, and I'll take them and read them. I only asked two favors. One, um, that you write really legibly, because I want to be able to really grasp what you're saying to me. And um, two, you can sign it if you want. You don't have to. 
It's up to you. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for your goodness in our lives. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're worthy of our, of our love. I want to thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much. My goodness, Lord, I just marvel and I'm in awe when I think about all you've forgiven me. I, Lord, for me, I don't even have to think back to my B.C. days. I just think about the last year. I just think about the last week. I just think, Lord, about the last 18 years of my marriage, all of the garbage that's come out of me. Do you forgive it? Your blood has washed it away. And I stand in awe. And like that woman, I just, Lord, fall on my face and say, Lord, I just, I love you. I love you. The Bible, Lord, tells us that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's always been that way, Lord. David said, your gentleness makes me great. I just thank you, Lord, that you don't put the screws to us. I thank you that you speak honestly to us. I thank you, Lord, that you speak forthrightly to us. And I ask you, God, did you just bless these men and women, give them the courage to step out and live a life of faith. Give them, Lord, the grace to overlook what may have been my mistakes, my misspoken words, and to hold on to that which is good and let go of that which is not. Help them most of all to hold on to you and what you impressed on their soul. In Jesus' name, amen.